look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. You, Faisal? Good. Long weekend. Yeah, thankfully. Uh, they don't come around often enough, but when they do, we sure enjoy them. We've got a great show uh, today. We're going to actually talk to our industry regulator uh, about some of the, the protections that are built in for investors. Yep. And uh, we're also going to talk about uh, a retirement study, what retirement really looks like. We go over the study every year, so yep. I'm looking forward to the results from that. And finally, strategies that could allow you to turn losses into tax savings. Unfortunately, sometimes we get some of those, uh, and we've got to know how best to utilize those going forward. Um, I've got an interesting um, piece this week that I was talking to a person about. So in, in conversation, of course, we were talking about a lot of the uncertainties that we're facing. What's happening with the trade war and what's the Fed going to do and the European Central Bank with interest rate decisions. And there's all these things that we're thinking about. Yep. And what, what it raised in conversation uh, with this individual is the black swan event, right? So it's this 2008 kind of scenario where out of the blue, something happens and it just kills the market, yeah, right? It's, it's not, that three standard deviation move, right? Yeah, so it's something that's so extreme right. that no one was prepared for right. that happens, right. and it can be catastrophic to someone's entire retirement. Yeah, exactly. And then the conversation switched to his comment, um, it was a passing comment. He said, well, you can't plan for the black swan. So my question for this segment is, can you actually plan for the unplannable? The unplannable? Yeah. Is that even a word? It is now. Oxford, if you're listening, put it in. Okay, unplannable is it. now a word. Okay, good to know. Okay, so <laughs> can you plan for the unplannable? So yeah. <laughs> we're we're freaking out. We're you know there's lots of people listening, and we're laying awake at night thinking about oh my god, what could happen here, and what don't I know? This is the thing that our entire practice has been based on: is can you plan for the unplannable? There you go. See, it's a new I'm word. Saying, I'm there using it, it, so I guess it's a new word now. Um, when you have these major catastrophic events that don't happen frequently, right. they're so infrequent that it, people f tend to forget it's going to happen. Right. And our entire practice of asset dedication, the four buckets and so right. forth, has been based upon how to protect people in those situations. Right. So to answer your question, can you protect yourself from a black swan event? The answer is yes. Yeah. And asset dedication is the solution to that. So going back to how we separate people's money or dedicate money in different buckets, one's for income, one's for growth, and what happens in the markets on a day-to-day -day basis does not impact the income bucket. Right. What happens in the economy doesn't happen, doesn't affect people on their income for a 10-year period. Right. But then the growth bucket, yes, have volatility, absolutely. Right. But let's go back to 2008. Our strategy didn't have the big impacts in the growth bucket as the markets did. Well, never mind the growth bucket, forget that. The income bucket, which is where people were really nervous. How am I going to draw income and support my lifestyle when this big black swan event hits? Yeah. We actually got a bonus. Not, not only were you not negatively affected, it was, it was a bonus. It was two years more income. So I think when people see volatility happen, let's go back to fourth quarter 2018, or when people see any kind of drop in the market, they immediately think about my income. My income is going to be impacted when the markets fall. So if the markets fall 10%, I'm down 10%. That could be years of income that are gone. Right. This is why we have asset dedication. And, and here, this is what I was thinking about after the conversation with this person. I, I was thinking about, um, it's an interesting comment because 
we we actually have all been trained to plan for the unplannable as we've as we've got we've gotten older. So insurance is a good example. Why do you have life insurance? In the event that this horrific, unplannable black swan event happens and your family's taken care of. You just recently built a home and you now have right. interesting different types of locks on your door and alarm system and right. video that you can see what's going on. You're hoping that it never needs to be used. That's correct. So, so we talk about um, in the seminar, and we'll remind everybody about when, when our next one is, but the, you know, th this idea that you no longer have a singular goal. And this is what people have to recognize when they get to this stage of life. You can't, you, it's not just about growth anymore. It's about planning for stability and predictability of income. So let me, let me kind of put jump in there really quickly because <clears throat> I think people are still focused on, let's say you have a million dollars and you need $50,000 of income from that million dollars yes. to live off the right. lifestyle that you want. Right. So many people are expecting their portfolio to grow at 5% per year so they don't erode on capital. Right. And so when people do those types of things, they take on a lot more risk. Think about what 5% is in income and what you need to invest into yep. to get 5%. Right. So these black swan events that you're talking about right. can occur, can be catastrophic, Yep. can wipe out someone's retirement. Yeah. One of his friends, this person's friends, we were talking about income <laughs> and dividend for income, yeah. okay? I just have all dividend-paying stocks for income. Oh my God. You can definitely do that, right? There's lots of different ways to skin the cat, but he was horrified by this, and I said, well, we don't, we don't uh, subscribe to that methodology either because let's talk about the black swan event. It's so nice when you say this is something you can do. Uh, I honestly believe that this is a way that you can actually really impact your retirement. So yeah, you can do it. You can do anything you want to. Right, but should you do it? That's okay? the question. Yeah. Correct. Because where's the insurance? So what happens in a black swan event, this unplannable event happens, what are the chances? I mean, certainly you see stocks fall, and his friend's comment was, you just have to have the guts to ride through the system. Fair enough. Uh, or to ride through the cycle. Okay, fair enough. But what happens if that dividend gets cut now? Because the board of directors determines that they need to retain capital to, to, to protect the company. Do you know when, when you said that you just have to ride it through? You know what it reminds me of? When, when we get interviews of people who have gone through a major tornado or a hurricane, right. and they are, they're just going to stay in that location, right. and they're like, well, you just got to ride it through and rebuild. How many times can you rebuild? You can't rebuild your retirement. No, you can't rebuild. So this is Mo this. Yeah, most so when people I hear will not comments have that. like yeah. that. Right. I think of those hurricane victims who just say, "We're going to rebuild." Right, but it's 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 a continuation of thinking that we were taught when we were growth investors. Yeah. Okay. So we look at dividend as part of the total return of a portfolio. It's not the income component to it because you don't have that stability that you can create through other things, right? And you need an airbag. So I'm just saying to people that are listening to this, um, the goals and uh, the goals change. You can plan for those things by having some insurance in your portfolio. I don't mean actual insurance products necessarily, but you have to build it with the idea that things could go wrong, right? And so we talk about having a base case scenario, but yep. then very humbly ask yourself, step back and just say, huh, could I be wrong? So let's take that example of someone who has a full stock portfolio with dividend-paying stocks to get the income that they need. What, what, what could go wrong? Right. And what's the impact to you? And can you survive that? Right. And then assign a probability of that happening. I don't think people do that. I, that's stress testing. We've talked yeah, about stress, stress testing, testing right. a portfolio. Yeah. The worst case scenario is a stress test. I don't think people do that. And I think that's the problem that we have when, when people are just looking at one answer to one problem and not looking at alternatives just in case something goes wrong. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree with you. Um, 
Okay, we're going to have to, we're, you know, this is a topic, I suppose, that we're going to educate people about. And Absolutely. we do that every single month. So let's just remind everybody when our upcoming seminar is, because this is a topic that's near and dear How to our How do you bulletproof your retirement? We're going to show you the strategy on Tuesday, September 24th, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel. Now you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Okay. Um, I, I think the... Piece, yeah, um, you know that we're going to talk about. People should come prepared to to as a, if you're coming as a couple or a single, write down some of the things that you're thinking about with retirement, some of the assumptions that you have, because we have an awesome Q and A period at the yeah. end yeah. where it's fair game. Ask anything you want, right? Um, I think and, when you meet with an advisor or you go to their seminars or anything, <laughs> write down the the concerns that you have. Yeah, write down your fears. Yeah, what are you worried about? Right. Right? How is that? And how can you protect and plan for that? And, how, right. and, and those are the issues that people are, are coming to, to, to learn about. What are the concerns? What are your fears? Yeah. What are your questions? Write them all down in advance. Right. I don't care if you're coming to our seminar, you're meeting with an advisor for the first time, you're meeting your own advisor for the 25th year in a row. Right. Write them down and see how you're going to address those concerns, questions, beautiful. and fears. That's beautiful. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. We've got a terrific guest with us today, um, Faisal. Uh, we have a regulatory body that makes sure that oversees um, how our industry runs, um, that uh, clients uh, are protected. And there's, you know, there's a, you know, as our listeners know, we deal with a, uh, a population of clients that are transitioning to or living in retirement. Correct. And with age, sometimes uh, comes some vulnerability and potential risks associated with that. Not exclusive to age, but in our practice, we see that as people get older. Perhaps you have a diminished mental capacity. There's an illness. There, you know, could be a number of things that do that. And um, our industry, and, and in particular our regulator, takes this very seriously uh, about how to protect people that are in a vulnerable position. Again, not just 100% on age. And so we've got Andrew Kriegler, who's the president and the CEO of IROC. Uh, joining us. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's good to be with you. Just so that the, the population knows that's listening, um, Andrew, kind of give the idea of what is IROC and what their responsibilities are. Sure. Uh, so IROC is an acronym that stands for the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. It's the national self-regulatory body that regulates investment dealers and their registered employees across the country and also oversees the trading of equity and debt securities in Canada's markets. All right. Terrific. Um, with that being said, um, I do want to talk a little bit about vulnerabilities. Now, we've, we've got a 10-minute segment to do, uh, Andrew. I'm not sure we can do full justice to this, but um, I do want to raise awareness, or Faisal and I want to raise awareness about um, you know clients that are, are potentially uh, vulnerable. And that, as I said at the, at the top of the, uh, the clip, it could be because of, of age-related issues. It could be because of, of illnesses. It could be a number of different things. And um, I'm very interested in, in your take as the leader of, of IROC, uh, what kind of safeguards, um, what should people be thinking about, both from an advisory perspective, uh, things that should be in place from a practice perspective, and what should families know about to safeguard uh, against any potential vulnerabilities that they, they may have? Well, I think I'll begin by reiterating something you said at the, at the outset, Dave, which is uh, the focus is on people, on clients who are vulnerable. 
And while certainly uh, as people age, the the probability that they may become vulnerable uh, because of diminished capacity or other issues uh, is a little bit higher, we aren't only talking about uh, people who are older. People can become vulnerable at any point in their lives uh, for a whole variety of reasons. You know, it can be because of a a physical or or psychological family trauma. It can be a life change, a medical condition as as you identified, or even something as simple as a lack of financial literacy and, and, right. and not knowing enough about uh, the context in order to make uh, important decisions in their financial lives. So, you know, all of us in the industry together, us as a regulator, uh, the, the good advisors, good firms, uh, want to make sure that people are protected when they are vulnerable. Well, and I, I you know, I think that um, that statement um, is incredibly powerful in the sense that we are working, we are in an industry, Faisal, um, uh, with an expertise uh, that typically, you know, exceeds what our clients have. And so there is a vulnerability, maybe just in general terms about that. Yeah. I know, Andrew, you're speaking about something beyond just that, for sure. Um, but it is, it, it does, um, we need to address that uh, in terms of people's total wealth needs or their trading in stock or whatever the case may be, about how best to to handle that and, and do it. Andrew, I'd like you to speak to... Um, the organ, the, the IROCs, and, and your work and your team's work around this notion of vulnerability, and um, how you know how does a family identify, or how should they think about a vulnerability um, themselves? You know, within with whether it's age related or not. Sure. Well, I, I think um, a, a couple of things. First, let's try and put this in context so that people have a sense for for how real this challenge is. Yeah. Uh, there are some interesting statistics that. CARP, which is a, a Canada's largest advocacy organization for older Canadians, it, it used to be called the Canadian Association of Retired Persons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it came out with some numbers a little while back that said that every six minutes a Canadian is diagnosed with dementia, right? And that one in five older Canadians can be subject to elder financial abuse, right? So just for those causes alone, there's there's people out there who are at risk. So we recently conducted a survey of um, a little over a thousand Canadians to ask them about some of the ways in which they could help mitigate the risks of, uh, of these sorts of vulnerabilities. And one of the first things we asked about was the idea of a trusted contact person, a trusted contact person that their financial advisor is aware of, uh, that's put in place at the beginning of a relationship or or really any time if it's not there already, and that the advisor can go contact if they think there's a problem that exists uh, with the client, be it uh, a a diminished capacity issue, be it uh, uh, an inability to make decisions for other reasons, or at the worst case, potentially uh, some possibility of uh, of, uh, financial abuse. And the reason we wanted to go out and talk about this was because it occurred to us that not very many Canadians have thought about it. And indeed, to be honest, not that many advisors yet have done so either. So we we wanted to look at that. and, And what was interesting about it is that there was overwhelming support from Canadians for the idea of having this trusted contact person. So that, you know, as part of the relationships that that you would have as an advisor with your clients, you know for each one of them who you can go to if you think there might be a problem and you need to be able to get another perspective on the question at hand. So that's something that we think is a first step that should be taken. I I think it's wonderful. And and, um, 
the, the, so the you said something interesting. Overwhelming support of the idea. In practice, um, um, it's in, the family dynamic, Faisal, is very interesting, right? Correct. Um, particularly with maybe that. That again, I'm, I'm speaking, Andrew, to sort of the client base and the listening population that of we course. have, which is that that older population. There's sometimes a reluctance for for parents to share that information. Um, you know, detailed financial wealth information, whatever the case may be, yeah, with. Yeah with their uh, their kids as an example. Andrew, did you did you get in, in your survey, was there any feedback beyond sort of that idea about the family dynamic and, and how best to do that or? or, or how, how to select a, a trusted person? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because most people will probably pick a spouse, but that may not be the right person because of either right. experience, expertise, or lack thereof, yeah. you know, financial literacy we've talked about. Sure. Um, so, so when it comes to what's the process someone should go through to selecting a trusted person? Well, we didn't focus on that narrow question, but we did focus on a slightly broader one, which is what are some of the issues that are around uh, choosing a trusted advisor, mm-hmm. either the, the actual choice of the individual, which obviously is very circumstance or family specific, right. or around the, the the rules, the guidelines, the things that would enable or, or give license to the advisor to reach out to that person and actually initiate the contact. And you mentioned in your, your remarks a moment ago, the concern about privacy around financial information. Yeah. And that clearly resonated. So, our financial lives as Canadians are really important to us. They're they're one of the things that that we identify with, that that sort of define who we are. Because it's it's not only your strengths, but your vulnerabilities are all encapsulated in your personal financial situation. Yes. So you know, giving someone else access to that is is making yourself vulnerable all by its lonesome. Yeah. So one of the things that came out was okay, lots of support for the idea of having this trusted contact. Tell us how you're going to deal with the privacy issues. And so one of the reasons that we haven't uh, moved further along in this process yet was because we wanted to understand you know, how big an issue the privacy concern was. And it's a big one. Yeah, yeah. So in addition to the trusted contact alone, there's another component that we ask people about, and that was the idea of, of what's called a regulatory safe harbor. So... You know, your obligations are to your client, and if you go to another person, uh, a trusted contact, and say, hey, I think there's something wrong here, uh, and at the extreme, I think we need to stop a transaction, say, right. yes. that's been, been, been asked for by the client because there's, uh, perhaps they, they don't understand the consequences of taking that action, or, as I mentioned earlier, the extreme cases, they're, they're subject to potential financial abuse. Right. You know, those are serious steps. And so we want to make sure, as a regulatory body, that we give cover for the advisor to do the right thing and give that sort of safe harbor so that advisors can act in the interests of their clients. There was support for that. Go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. Finish that thought. That's great. No, the, the the closing part is, but we got to do it right. And and in yeah. going out to to Canadians to ask them about the privacy concerns, we heard pretty loudly and clearly that that's that's something we need to to put good guide rails around so that everyone knew, knows the rules of the road and and when uh, when you can make that phone call and when you can take the step of say freezing an account temporarily until you can ensure that the actions being asked for are are good and, and right. 
Well, and, and so I want to thank you, first of all, for, again, we can't do justice to this complicated issue um, in 10 minutes, but raising awareness for the fact that there, all, there, there is vulnerabilities out there and that it's a complex issue that we need to take action Correct. steps around and that as an industry, we're in fact doing those things, recognizing what's happening. So uh, at least for the time we have today, I think you've done absolute justice to, to raising that awareness, and I want to thank you for say, uh, taking some time with us today. It was a pleasure to be with you. We've been joined by Andrew Kriegler. He's the president and CEO of, uh, of IROC, our regulatory body. Um, uh, uh, this is not going to get easier. Vulnerabilities no. are, are out there now. And again, uh, Andrew would say that it goes beyond just an aging population. But the fact of the matter is we do have an aging demographic in Canada. And that aging demographic will face more vulnerabilities, right, um, mental or whatever the case may be, as they get older. So not, not diminishing the fact that there's other people out there that are all vulnerable, but our industry has to get good at, at helping people and protecting people from, uh, from themselves mm-hmm. and from predators. Correct. And so we need to kind of explain how that happens in our process using the four buckets, our health bucket, our legacy buckets. We're also going to talk uh, at our next seminar about this and how to profit and protect and bulletproof your retirement. It'll be on Tuesday, September 24th, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel. Now you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go on our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. You ever wondered what other people's retirement really looks like versus what they tell you? Well, stick around. We're going to talk about that. You're on 770 CHQR in More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. You know, there's this little topic that we occasionally cover called retirement. <laughs> it's pretty much all we talk about, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we do spend a lot of time talking about it. Uh, but listen, for about, I think this is the 14th year now. Uh, Fidelity has been putting out an annual report called Retirement 2020. Um, and their, their 2019 um, report is now out. And we've got a terrific guest to help us uh, talk about the results of the uh, the retirement uh, survey that they've done. Michelle Monroe is joining us. She's the Director of Tax and Retirement Research at Fidelity Investments. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on. Well, we're not going to be able to do it, uh, justice in 10 minutes uh, to the, the content of the, the survey, but I want to sort of start at a high level here, and I, I want you to tell us a little bit about um, how, what you found year over year, the differences between how optimistic Canadians are with respect to the retirement this year versus, say, last year or previous years? Are we seeing a trend? Well, one of the trends is that we're seeing people are very optimistic and they're looking forward to retirement. And I think part of that could be because we've, we're getting into a 10-year bull run now. <laughs> so, the yeah, the economy is doing well, and therefore people are looking forward to retirement and because their investments are doing well as well. Well, I think that's, that's interesting. We feel it a little bit differently here in Alberta than perhaps in other parts of the country. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah which, is, which is an interesting conversation. We, we, we remind clients that, you know, what's happening with respect to pipelines in Alberta may not necessarily be influencing, you know, everybody everywhere. However, having right. said that, it is interesting to know nationally that Canadians are, are optimistic. Yeah, and before we got on the show, we were looking at some of the survey, Dave, and it was, it was focusing on, on one piece was on, on how and when people retire. We yep. found that in the prairies, Alberta yep. included, uh, uh, tend to retire sooner, at least 37% of them do. So, Michelle, um, what, uh, what do Canadians tend to, to do when they retire? What, what age group are they primarily retiring at? And then what are their plans when they, to, to match the, their, their, their age and their, and their financial situation? 
Well, there's a, that's a really good question, and there's a lot of different pieces to that. So when we ask pre-retirees, when do you expect to retire? Uh, almost 40%, so predominantly they mostly say around 65 But then we find that uh, a lot of people actually retire a lot earlier and are in that under 60 category. And it does vary across the country, whereas BC is one of the highest at 46%, and the prairies are actually just under 40%, um, and they're in line with Ontario. Um, So what we are seeing is that people do tend to retire a little bit earlier than expected, and there could be various reasons for that. Um, Part of it is also thinking about, well, what do you plan to do in retirement and creating a bit of a vision and then actualizing that. Yeah, I think that we talk about that an awful lot, Michelle, on the show. It's, you know, everybody knows what they're retiring from. It's surprising how few people know what they're retiring to. Perhaps at a very high level they've thought this through, but they haven't really dug down into, you know, some of the the plans, the details of what's going to fill that gap. When you think about 40 hours a week, you got to fill with something. 40 hours a week is a lot of time to fill. And we find that when we, especially when I speak to uh, early retirees, is that is the biggest shock that they have, um, that they've spent eight plus hours a day at mm-hmm. work. And when you ask people, like, what do you think you're going to be doing in retirement? And you get the typical answers. Well, the number one answer is actually traveling. Yeah. And then the next is spending time with family and friends and then hobbies. And then when we ask the retirees, how did you actually spend time? Traveling actually um, doesn't, uh, it doesn't occur as much as they had anticipated. But they do, do spend more time on hobbies and family with friends and actually online activity. So what we're seeing is that the seniors are just as busy on their uh, smartphones as the rest of us are. <laughs> are we finding that more and more Canadians are working through their retirement years? There is. Uh, it's more of a transition zone uh, where people are working for something to something that they love to do as opposed to their paycheck. And um, when we ask the reasons, well, what, what are your reasons for working in retirement? People say to stay active, uh, helps to stay busy, pass the time, give a sense of purpose, social reasons, things like that. Uh, of course, financial reasons is one of the answers as well. Right. Um, but when we go an extra layer, well, what what do you mean by financial reasons? A, a lot of that has to do with reasons to make life easier, which means an additional night out. Uh, maybe it's an additional vacation or a fancier vacation. And um, and I think that's it's a different retirement than you'd think, like our parents' retirement, um, where. People would retire, and it's a, it's a hard stop, and then you start your it's a hard stop from your working years, and then the retirement years. I think it's more of a trend. It's, the trends are it's more of a transition now. Yeah, Let, let's talk about um, how prepared people are. So I made the comment earlier, uh, Faisal. And we talk about this a lot. We know what we're retiring from. Most people do, right? They, yeah. Very right. few sort of have a, an idea or a plan of what they're retiring to. Michelle, I'd like your comments from the, from the research, and not just this year's, but if we've seen a trend improving or not, about people's uh, retirement planning. Do they have a plan? Um, the, um, start with this more of a, the importance of having a written plan and really creating that vision and putting it on paper. Mm. Um, any plan 
that's written. If it's if it's written, you increase your likelihood of actually achieving your goals. And in our research shows us that about a quarter of people actually have a written retirement plan. Right. Now, those people who work with a financial advisor, financial planner, what have you, the term you want to use, that number actually goes up to 40%. And then we look, well, people who actually have a written plan, they do feel so much better prepared. And you would think that, well, they would feel better prepared financially, as expected, but it's also emotionally, socially, and physically, which has to do with health-wise. So it's just putting all these pieces together, I think, really drives home to your listeners the importance of having a written plan. So, so Michelle, let's just kind of recap that. First of all, those who are are dealing with an advisor, only 40% of them have a written financial plan? That's what people tell us. I Now, when I think when the advisors who um, I, I speak with, I think that's low. I think this is I think that they actually are preparing it a lot higher, that there's the number should be higher. You know, what I find interesting in that, Faisal, is the conf- there might be confusion. So we, we believe that there's a difference between a written financial plan and a retirement plan. Correct. Right? So a retirement pl- sorry, a, a written financial plan would be a component of a retirement plan yes, because there's lifestyle considerations yeah. and everything else, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that's right. sometimes the confusion with people, even if they've done a financial calculator. So I, I don't, um, sorry, I, I agree with the survey mm. because the people that come to us for a second opinion or want us to sit down and kind of have a chat don't have... Most don't. A, <clears throat> I would say more than, more than 40% of the people... Um, true. Are, so let's, let's Anecdotally, the, that would be true. Anecdotally in our practice, for the people that we meet right. really? do not have a written financial plan at all. Right. And ha- are coming to us because they want that. Right. They want some sort of guidance on a, from a plan perspective. So I, I'm, I'm just surprised that people are okay with. Do so you actually think it's too high? That number I is think that higher than what you would have expected to see. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Right. So yeah. I think it, it should, uh, the 23 or 25 percent of the people who don't have a plan in general is pretty much what we, or, sorry, that do have a plan is what we see anecdotally in our practice for people who come in us for a second opinion. Okay, so we're very quickly running out of time, Michelle, and we're going to end it on this particular point and this question. I think we all agree that um, that people that have a financial, a written financial plan, and it's tied to a, a retirement plan lifestyle, um, have a higher quality of retirement, lower stress, so on and so forth. So um, finish, it, finish it off, I guess, if you would, with just if you had to give somebody one piece of advice um, as they're preparing for their retirement, what would you say? Oh, I think it's the importance of having a written plan and being prepared, coming up with the vision of the future that's realistic. And um, it's not only preparing for like those fun points of traveling and spending time with family and friends, but looking at it from a, a very holistic viewpoint that retirement's going to last a long time and think about it and be prepared. Michelle, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for taking some time with us. All right. Thank you. Enjoy your day. Bye-bye. You too. We've been joined by Michelle Monroe, Director of Tax and Retirement Research at Fidelity Investments. And I'll remind our listeners and and Faisal, uh, a very good friend of ours, Barry LaValle, says retirement is not a perpetual weekend. Yeah. Right? It will not work out that way. 
so you need to put some structure into what that uh, what that's going to look like, and then can it be supported through all the math and the numbers and you know uh, the financial plan? Yeah, and that structure is very important, and we're going to talk about how to get that structure into reality to bulletproof your retirement. That'll be on Tuesday, September twenty fourth, seven p.m. At the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary, you need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go on our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. You want to know how to utilize your losses to save on taxes? Stick around after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave. We're going to talk a little bit about taxes. I mean, uh, Faisal Andrew and I often talk about um, the importance of proper tax planning, uh, most of us are not experts in uh, in tax, but the implication, you know, you need somebody on your team that is because there are so many rules and so many things that we need to know to be able to take advantage of properly in, in our uh, preparation of our taxes to make sure that you maximize the benefit for yourself. Now, Jamie Golenbeck is the Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC Financial Planning and Advice. He's a regular contributor to our show. And, uh, Jamie, listen, I want to welcome you back. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Um, I, I want to talk about uh, interest deductibility. So um, if you take a loan um, uh, for the purposes of investment, okay, whether that's uh, um, investment for uh, you know, income or business investment for income, um, there is a, a provision that allows you to write off the expense, the interest expense on that. So can you just, from a high-level perspective, give us what the tax law says about this. And then there's a, um, a specific case that you wrote about this uh, this past week that I want to talk about. Sure, absolutely. So, so the general rule, I think as most people would know, is that if you borrow money and you use that money for the purpose of investing or to start a business or even use it in business operation, you can deduct the interest. And the logic behind that, the policy reason, is because you're incurring an expense to basically generate taxable income. So in other words, you're borrowing money to buy shares. Um, Those shares pay dividends. Then, of course, you're including the dividends as income, and you can write off the interest expense. So that's a rule that's been around for a long time. Uh, It's very common in the uh, business world, certainly, uh, when companies borrow money and they, they borrow on debt and they're writing off the interest expense against their net income. But on the individual retail level, for investors, uh, if we're using a margin account uh, and we're investing, then that margin interest is tax deductible. If we're using a line of credit and that line of credit is being used for investments, and then we're able to deduct that interest uh, on our tax return. Um, now, just just from a sort of mechanics perspective, Jamie, you, you have to be able to show the, the linkages between this, correct? So there, it has to be fairly clean. Um, how do you suggest people you know, when they borrow to do that, if they're mixing it with other things that they've used their line of credit for? What, what do they need to be aware yeah, of? Yeah, well, they're very, very careful. You've got to be very careful when it comes to the tracing. The, the courts have been very clear that you've got to sell a direct tracing. So it's not good enough to say, oh, I've got a loan over here for 100000 I've got 100000 investment, so therefore, theoretically, I should be writing off my interest. That's not good enough. You actually have to show that the physical loan proceeds were used to buy investments. So on a margin account, it's very simple. You borrow on margin, you buy the investment, you're done. If you're using a line of credit, you better make sure there's nothing else in that line of credit. And what we recommend uh, people to do is if they've got a line of credit, typically on a home, let's say that's a secured line of credit, we tell people to bifurcate. In other words, divide that line of credit into two. Most financial institutions will do that. I know that uh, we do it at CIBC. Um, You can have the same line of credit divided into two sub-accounts. 
So not one of them you could use for home renovations. These are non-deductible interest-type expenses. But the other account you use solely for the purpose of investing, and you write off your interest. CRA is very, very particular. They want to see a paper trail. They want to see the check going from the loan account into the investment account uh, to be able to, if they ever look at it, uh, uphold your interest deductibility. Yeah, okay. Okay, so establishing that, um, sometimes the investments we make uh, don't work out the way we want them to work out. So let's, um, let me propose a situation where it's either a business uh, or it's an investment that you uh, borrowed for and it didn't quite go the way you wanted to. My question to you is, uh, can you continue the interest deductibility on the money that you borrowed for that uh, investment uh, into the future, even if that investment no longer exists or the business you know, is defunct or is not around? Quick answer is yes. I mean, believe it or not, it's not intuitive because you think that if you're borrowing money for earning income and you can no longer ever earn income because the investment the investment has gone belly up or the business has gone bankrupt, that you wouldn't be able to deduct the interest. That's not true. Uh, there is a rule that came into place, I believe it was in 1994 or so, um, that I sometimes I call it the BREX rule. If anyone remembers the BREX uh, uh, gold mining issue back in the 90s, uh, where basically it turned out to be a falsified gold reports and the company went bankrupt at the end of the day. But in other words, the example I like to give is if you borrowed money to invest in BREAC, uh and that loan is still outstanding today, you can still write off the interest because of the rule in the income tax called the loss of source rule. And the loss of source rule says if the original intention of the loan and then that loan was used for the purpose of earning income, whether it's investment income or business income, then even if that investment goes to zero or you wind down that business, if that loan is still outstanding, you're still paying interest, that interest is still tax deductible. Now, sometimes CRA um, uh, you know, questions these things, but this, this loss of source rule has been tested recently in a case that you wrote about. That's right. So yeah, very briefly, I just wrote an article about a recent case in the last month or so uh, about a, an individual who had a business and effectively, he shut down his business and became an employee somewhere else. Um, but what he did is, while he was running his business, it was a, really an accounting firm, and he was running it as a sole proprietor, and he paid for all the expenses, the rent, the office supplies, travel from his line of credit. And I think he hit around $90,000 a line of credit. And then what happened, he ultimately shuttered the business. But he still had the line of credit. So 10 years later or so, He's still writing off the interest. CRA challenges it, saying, well, you know, we're not sure some of those expenses are valid. And the judge is like, we don't care about the expenses. That was 10 years ago. You didn't audit the expenses 10 years ago. We're adding the interest today. The money was borrowed for the purpose of earning investment income, and therefore you can continue to write off the interest. And so we won the case. And it just shows you that the courts are uh, looking favorably towards the rule. And if it's done properly and you've dotted the I's, crossed the T's, show the direct tracing, as we talked about before, and then you should still be able to write off the interest on that loan if the original purpose was to earn investment or business income. Yeah, and then it goes back, I think, to the comment you made uh, made earlier. It's really important that it's properly documented, right? There's a paper trail. Ultimately, um, if you get challenged on these things by CRA and you need to fight this, you, you've got to have proper documentation. It's got to be clear line of sight where they can see the money moving for the purposes that it's intended against the write-off. And, um, you know, I don't think we can add much more to that. It is, it's critical that people keep uh, accurate records if, uh, even if they're applying the rules properly, if they don't have those accurate records, 
um, you can be called into question and, and denied. Well, that's right. And I'll just give you one final tip. I mean, uh, you know, this goes for the mortgage, too. People say, oh, can't, can't write off mortgage interest in Canada. Can't do it, right? And I say, well, depends. And what if you have some investments and you also have a mortgage? Uh, well, I'm paying interest on my uh, mortgage. I also have investments, so I should be able to write it off. Well, again, there is a, a technique that you can do. You can do a swap. Uh, and what we sometimes tell people is if you have non-registered investments and you have a mortgage, why don't you sell your non-registered investments, depending on the tax consequences of selling it. You might have capital gains tax, depends on, on that situation. Yeah. Uh, and then pay off the mortgage, then get a secured line of credit against the home and buy back those same investments. And what you've done effectively is made your mortgage interest tax deductible. But again, the tracing is important. That's what we already talked about. You can't just say notionally, well, I've got some mortgage interest, I've got some investments, I can write it off. That does not work. You've got to show the direct tracing, as we've said. Jamie, I want to thank you again for your time and, uh, you know, taking complex tax and putting it in English for us. Always a pleasure. Thank you. We've been joined by Jamie Golenbach, Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC Financial Planning and Advice. Um, we're going to talk more about, uh, about tax. Tax uh, impacts uh, almost every aspect of our retirement, certainly from a financial perspective. And I might even argue that for most people, uh, tax is going to be the single biggest uh, expense item that they face throughout their entire uh, their retirement. So we've got to be savvy about this. Planning's important. And as Jamie said, uh, obviously specific to the case he was talking about, but it has to be structured properly so that there's clear line of sight uh, should you ever be challenged on uh, on even the rules that are in place because the CRA will do that. Anyways, that's part of what we're going to talk about. I mean, this whole complex notion of transitioning to and living in retirement, how tax impacts us, that's the educational purpose behind our seminar. Our next one is coming up on Tuesday, September 24th, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel. Now you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethemoneyradio.com. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. We'll talk to you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.